0: Welcome back. We are in chapter eleven of Revelation, verse eleven. So eleven, eleven. So here we've got the two witnesses, as we were talking about yesterday. These two witnesses, we don't quite know who they are. We can speculate, but where God is silent, we can we should say silence as well. I have my um, speculation as to which two it is, and you you may agree or disagree, but it's a non-essential. So we can just agree to disagree and. Exercise our brains as we talk about it. But what we do know is that people will try to make war against them and God will allow them to be just incredibly powerful and Old Testament prophecy style where they are talking about the glory of God, which is exactly what you and I should be doing. We may not be called prophets, but we are saints. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you're a saint. And what that means is that you're called to witness to the death, uh, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, to the truth of Jesus, to the fact and the essential that He is God, that He came to take away the sins of the world, that that offering is universal, but it must be individually accepted. That is what you and I are called to do. And when we don't do it, we wonder why we find ourselves sad, depressed, lonely, isolated, defeated. It's because God designed us to glorify Him. He designed us to worship Him. And when we're not doing those things, we're not getting the fuel that we need that fills us. It's like a car that's supposed to run on gasoline and you put orange juice in the tank. It's just not going to run right, if at all. And the same is true of you and I. God built us to witness, to trust Him, to love Him. And when we do that, we'll find our lives are at the greatest amount of peace that we'll experience when we push and distrust and get angry and get sad and don't tell people about jesus that's when it just gets poured on us but god is good and he is on the throne and he continues to call us it's one of the purposes of prayer as well remember prayer is not to change god's mind but to change our hearts and when we hear ourselves say things we're like oh yeah you know what that's how i'm supposed to pray and this is this is true i need to take my own kind of advice as i'm praying out loud if you will so these two witnesses are testifying to the truth of god but the world hates them all the people all over the world maybe they're affecting people all over the world or maybe people are just seeing them and thinking oh you can't do that just like why i look around and i see some people who are concerned about our pro you know america's pro life stance or something like that and they have a interest as though it's a vested interest, even though they live in a different country. I'm like, why do you care what's going on over here? But they do. Um, You know, biblically, we're called to protect life. But I just use that as an example that came to my mind of people who seem concerned about something that ostensibly doesn't even matter to them. And here, these two witnesses will be hated by a lot of people across the world. They'll even celebrate when these two witnesses are killed. Uh, very sad. And they leave their bodies in the streets. And no culture in the world is that acceptable to my understanding, right? I've I've never studied a culture where they just leave their uh, dead on the surface and walk over them. Uh, everybody buries them or cremates them or does something to dispose of the bodies. So here in verse 11, it says, 11, 11. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. So verse 11. Now after three and a half days... So I take this to mean a uh, literal three and a half days. Why it's three and a half days, I don't know. Um, Why did God choose that time? I don't know. Why is it literal? Because it's spelled out very explicitly. And three and a half years wouldn't make sense because you're not going to leave a body out for three and a half years. They witnessed for 1260 days, which is three and a half years, 42 months. And then you're going to have the Great Tribulation. For three and a half years, 42 months, which is on the second half of the tribulation. So it wouldn't make sense that they left their bodies there for three and a half years. That would be pretty nasty. But so I think it's very simple here to say that these are literal days. You you can agree to disagree, but that's uh, what I believe it is. And so after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. Let's go to Genesis 2-7. Genesis 2-7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So God breathed the breath of life into Adam, and here he breathes the breath of life into these two witnesses who were who were dead. They were dead for three and a half days. Uh, similar... Not exactly, necessarily, but very similar to uh, Jesus being in the tomb for three days. Um, And then they ascended into heaven just as Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus, of course, had a death, but also a burial and a resurrection and an ascension. Here, these two witnesses have a death, but no burial. But similar to Jesus, they also have a resurrection and they also have an ascension. And they don't need to be buried. Perhaps we could look into that and say, well, for the believer, there's no more death, right? Because if you believe in Jesus and it's appointed to man to only die once and you have eternal life, you're born again. Nicodemus looked at them and said, How can you be born again? Are you gonna crawl back into your mother's womb and like no, you're spiritually reborn? so you don't need to be buried because you were buried with Christ that's what b- baptism represents when you see people in a church or in the ocean or outside or wherever baptism doesn't save someone it's not required it's a great thing and it's a reflection of an outward uh, it's an outward sign of an inward change it's telling the world look at me this is a decision I've made. I'm declaring publicly that I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And I am going to tell people about Jesus, even if it means persecution, even if it means that I'm kicked out of my social circles, I suffer at work, in my communities, etc., because of that. So the, the dip into the water, didn't mean to get on baptism, but I'll do it for a minute because a lot of people have the wrong conception of it the symbolism of going into the water is that you're being buried with christ and then coming out of the water is the resurrection from that burial from that death and again it's just an outward sign of an inward change of your heart change telling the world that you've done this it doesn't save you it has nothing to do with salvation it's just you declaring to the world now I'm a follower of Christ. And maybe you've been a follower of Christ for a long time and just never got buried, uh, baptized, but a great thing to do. I did it again in my uh, late 30s, or mid-30s, mid to late 30s, after I came to Christ and realized that I wanted to de- declare to the world that uh, I was a Christian. So here we go. It says, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God had entered them, and they stood on their feet. Remember that witnessing to others is the best way to claim your faith and put it to work. It is the best way to regenerate a sad or broken heart. It's what God designed us to do, and so it revives us. But then we don't do it, and we wonder why we feel sad and isolated and defeated. It's because we're doing something that God didn't design us to do, to have our pity parties and to be sad for ourselves. And trust me, I've been there. I've done that. I've had many pity parties in my life. But when I do them, God's like, all right, you better finish that pity party, you know, have some balloons and some cake, and then wake up tomorrow morning renewed and go and tell people about me because it will rejuvenate you. It's what I built you for, Mike. And if you're listening to this, it's exactly what he built you for, too, is to tell people about Jesus, to sacrificially serve. And that's why he came the first time as a suffering servant because he wants us to be suffering servants to win people to Christ with our attitudes, actions, behaviors. Verse 12, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud. Typically, a cloud depicts God's power. Here, God has invited them to heaven, and I envision him escorting them to heaven, much like we saw in the rapture. So if we go back to a picture of the rapture in First Thessalonians 4:15 to 17 it says this, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, So we see that, we've got this cloud, and it says, and their enemies saw them. So the people who were their enemies, who were trying to hurt the witnesses, who were trying to kill the witnesses, who were celebrating what we call a satanic Christmas, giving gifts to each other in celebration of these two witnesses having been murdered, they're celebrating that. And now these people, it says they saw them. When you see the power of Christ, it should change you. And so in verse 13, we're about to see this. It says, In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. So a great earthquake occurred also when the sixth seal was open in Revelation 6.12 where it says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Okay, and there will be an even greater one when the seventh vial is poured out in Revelation sixteen, eighteen, which says, And there are noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as a mighty and great earthquake has had not yet occurred since men were on the earth. So that one we'll talk about later, but that's an even bigger earthquake. So this is referring to Jerusalem. I believe this earthquake is probably isolated to Jerusalem, perhaps there's a global event that accompanies with, with it, but if we're reading scripture right here, it says there was a great earthquake, a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake seven thousand people were killed. So it's a very descriptive number. And if it's a global event, I think it would well be, on, be beyond seven thousand people. Uh, but here it's saying seven thousand people were killed. So I think that's seven thousand people in the city of Jerusalem is how I read it. And it says, And the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. So the rest of the people who saw this were afraid. They saw this giant earthquake after these two witnesses rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. Yeah, I'd I'd be afraid too if I didn't know God and I just saw two people who were lying in the street dead for three and a half days. Just wake up. Wake up, literally. Kind of look around and be like, what's up, guys? That's all you got? You think you can kill me and just let me rot in the street for three and a half days? Well, my God is bigger than you. My God is stronger than you. My God is all-powerful. He is all-present. He is everywhere at the same time. He created you. He created everything. And your theories about life and the theory of evolution and some big bang and some reincarnation, those are all wrong, guys. Listen, God is real. Here's his word. Read it. Live it. Trust him. Accept this invitation. So there's going to be be some people who accept Christ. Remember, during the greatest during the tribulation, we're going to see this greatest revival in history of people coming to know the Lord Jesus as their savior. And it says the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. So, I don't know if this means that there was true repentance or not so i'll give you a couple things to think about and i, and I don't know which one is in in picture here uh, commentary commentators disagree and as to which it is and i don't know and it doesn't matter to me we'll we'll apply it both ways so if it's suggesting that all of the people repented true repentance and turned to god how awesome is that and that can absolutely happen because god wants that no one should perish but then all should come to righteousness, right? So God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants everybody to go to heaven for him. But he's a holy and just God, and he can only have holy people in his presence who are made whole through the blood of Jesus Christ because they can't atone for their own sins. There's not enough ladies that can cross the street. There's not enough money they can give to a charity. There's not enough good deeds that they can do. They have to rest in the promise that Jesus his atonement on the sacrifice on the cross for you and for I was completely sufficient. Now, if this is suggesting that some people wanted to repent, they kind of looked at God and saw how powerful he was, but it wasn't true repentance, it wasn't genuine worship, then they would not have been saved. And I'm not sure which ones in view here, but I'm here to tell you that if you have true repentance, then you are saved, right? God sees your heart and your repentance. But if it's just kind of like, yeah, there's a God. Because there's a lot of people today who say, yeah, there's a God. Uh, You know what? Jesus was a good man. He was a moral man. He's a teacher we can learn from. But that's not the same as saying Jesus was God, is God. He was and is to come. He is alone the way we get to, uh, to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's a huge difference between those two. And a majority of people that get interviewed will say, oh yeah, Jesus was, you know, a good man, a good teacher, a good moral teacher, but they don't declare him to be their God, the God, the one and only God. And verse 14 ends this chapter, or ends this whole section. It says, the second woe was past. behold, the third woe was coming quickly. So there we kind of had the uh, interlude. We had a little bit of pause. We We talked about the second woe and then the... Uh, I'm about to come on the third woe here, and we're going to get in that tomorrow in verse 15. Lord, thank you for just loving us. Thank you for fueling us. Help us to understand that the fuel that you want, that you give us, that you built our bodies for, you know, we're fueled, yes, we need water and food, but you fueled us to glorify you by serving others, by telling people about you. That is when we have our maximum peace and enjoyment. Um, And I know it in my own life. And I know that when I'm the most sad is when I'm focused on myself, on my worldly circumstances. Lord, help us all to get our eyes off of ourselves and on the worldly stuff and to focus on godly, eternal stuff, heavenly stuff, Lord. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Now it's time to go and make disciples, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to show people who Jesus is so that we have the right to tell them who Jesus is. I'd encourage you to share this by social media, text, or email, with someone who you think could benefit from learning more about the Word of God. Have a blessed day.